0: Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of If I Only Knew. I'm once again joined by my fantastic co-host, Fred. Fred, say day. Hello listeners. Thank you so much for being with me again, Fred. Um, and I want to pick your psychologist's brain today. A bit less intergenerational, but nonetheless very interesting, I reckon. Um, because recently uh, my cat's been a bit injured I've, um, and, and she hurt her leg. We took her to the vet. She's doing very well now, but you know we were very scared that, that she was not going to be okay. My partner's moved out. She's away from our pets for the first time in her life. And it seems as if a huge amount of mental anguish goes into the needs to look Ooh. after pets and, and, and kind of keep these animals in our lives. You know, they can't even talk to us, Fred. And yet I care for them so very, very deeply. And I was wondering a bit about how exactly you reckon that works as a psychologist. Because it feels as if there are these massive kind of well-being benefits to having pets in your life, at least as I see it, and as I understand it. They're a great source of joy. They're a great source of calm and companionship and keep you company. And yet they're also this massive source of angst because they get injured, they they're not quite as robust as us, they can't talk to us, they keep you up at night. Gosh, that's that's a pain in the ass. Um so i wanted to learn a little bit more i think about the the well-being question or, or what it means to have a pet and, and why that's that helps us and, and maybe even why we're willing to put up with some of those particularly annoying consequences of having a pet uh just for the the joy they bring us so what do you reckon about that as a psychic like do you see patients that are like desperate for a pet or or do better with pets how does that work
1: Look, Matt, I, I'm going to give you three words that answer your question, but we won't end the podcast. Oh,
0: excellent. We've got to get that watch time up, Fred, yeah. Okay.
1: So the three words are unconditional, positive, regard. Right. We bond with pets and to the extent where often we might put their welfare ahead of our own mm. because they are absolutely capable of unconditional love. Right. They are dependent and have characteristics because of their development and their evolution that reinforce a bond with us. So Mm. don't forget, no animals were ever domesticated before people came along and needed them. But the smart ones really learned to domesticate the people around them. So dogs and cats, for example, could live quite happily without us. Mm. But certain characteristics in certain uh, breeds of dog and cat said, you know what? we got an easier life if we get these two, you know, uh, these upright walkers to to look after (laughs) stuff for us. Yeah. Now, therapeutically, we know that that therapeutic uh, condition is a real thing. It's not a joke. Mm, Yeah. Um, The healthcare benefits of owning a pet are really profound. They've been studied many, many times to the extent where we train animals now as therapy animals. And in Mm. our office in Sydney, we have little Midnight, who's not with me today. She's a a six kilo cavoodle. And I can tell you that I often get, as soon as I walk in in the door in the day, no one's looking for me. They're looking for the dog. (laughs) And on the days where the dog isn't with me, you can visibly see people disappointed. Mm. On the days where the dog is with me, you can see how it brightens up the office straight away. Mm. Mm. And midnight has a, very great capacity with little kids. So, we have lots of little kids that come in the office, and Midnight creates a fun and really open environment for anxious kids because mm. anxiety, unless they're anxious about dogs, so unless mm. they have a phobia. Well, yes. Which, by the way, she's very good at um, because she's got a. I, I don't know if it's inherent, I know it's not necessarily trained because she spends a lot of time with me. But she understands how to make herself small and attainable for people that are scared of her. Mm, mm. And she understands how to match energy when they're a bit older and a bit more boisterous. So you'll often see running races between midnight and some of our younger clients up and down the corridor. Oh, that's a good one. They love it. But if I told you, Matt, that we can train dogs to preempt panic attacks. Mm, mm. We can train dogs to preempt seizures. Mm. And one of the most effective therapies for eating disorders is equine therapy, working with horses.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah.
1: And it's because of this innate bond and this innate dependence that we have and we can form with pets. So I'm going to ask you a question, Matt. When did you realize your cat was more than just a cat and kind of part of the family?
0: Oh, it's a great question, Fred. Well, our cat we kind of adopted from the neighbours, which was a weird experience. So so there was this transitionary period where our cat was the next door neighbor's cat, and then we yes. started to look after them because they were no longer there. And I guess I guess that made this very interesting and explicit distinction for us because once our cat started coming in the house, I think, and and maybe we realized we were becoming the primary caregiver. I reckon that might have been when it was kind of like, this is finally our cat. Now, the the points where they got the luxury of that was when I my dad and I installed like a microchipped cat door specifically for that, for our cat into, into the wall. I think that's a bit luxurious. Um, yeah. Maybe when I spent a few hundred dollars on some automatic cat feeders and stuff, I think that's when we're yeah. starting to get up to the luxury kind of yeah. area. But I reckon it probably was the point of that like primary caregiver of like, oh, we're the one who's responsible for looking after this cat now that was where kind of she's one of us she's part of the family and that was even before we got like the formal documentation that like put her in our name rather than the neighbor's name sort of thing and that's that's kind of a uh, strange now that you ask me that question i reckon so let's think about this
1: the cat abandons your neighbors <laughs> Right. Well, look, they're, they're, it's,
0: it's, it's a bit complex. The neighbours kind of left them here, but they were kind of around. So, like, in, in our defence, we did not steal this cat. I'm going to, I'm going to make no, clear I, to I, the No, but I think you're missing the whole point.
1: The cat <laughs> emancipated themselves. Oh, one okay, favorite. right. Okay. okay. And chose to upgrade to a better family Uh, (laughs) with with automatic doors and automatic food Mm, 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 and you think you adopted the cat right okay
0: i see yeah yeah
1: so i just want you to be really aware so the one nice thing about animals is they make friends really quickly and they're not silly right Uh, and look we we put we have a tendency and i'm sure you've done this with your cat as humans, because of the way that we work, in the way that we encode information, we have a thing called schemas. So the way that we encode information relies on other information we have. We put stuff in a box.
0: Right, yeah.
1: So if your cat looks at you a certain way, your schema will say, look, the cat's smiling at me. Yes, yes, yes. Or look, the cat's giving me attitude. Yep. Or my favourite, the cat walks along a desk, looks at something on the desk, bats it off the desk and go, look at the attitude on this cat. You know, look at how sassy the cat is yeah, or something right, to that yeah. effect. But we we install in, in animals what we would consider human behaviour. Mm. And that makes it very easy for us to bond with something that's not from the same species. Now, I want to tell you a story that I learned many years ago in, in working in the welfare industry or the social welfare industry. The government often gives people that are struggling things like food vouchers and, and mm. as do charities. Mm. Uh, but they had to put regu- regulations in place. Now, there are three regulations on a food voucher. One, you can't buy alcohol. Well, we understand why there's no yeah. nutritional value in alcohol. Two, you can't buy cigarettes. We certainly understand why there's no nutritional value for your family in cigarettes. <laughs> yep, yep. But the third one is one that people complain about the most, mm. and that's that you can't use them to buy pet food.
0: Yeah, right. I didn't know that. Wow.
1: And it causes the most complaints because often people would be more interested or more concerned about how their pet eats, Mm, mm. even if they're on Struggle Street compared to how they eat. Mm, mm, mm. And I find that to be the telling um, characteristic of why pets are important to us because in this unconditional positive regard, we recognise an obligation and a responsibility to this other form of life, right? And in that, there's some power. There's some real responsibility. Mm. Now, Matt, I'm going to let you in on a story. My young daughter convinced us that she was going to be responsible enough to look after a dog. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. She would do everything, Matt. Mm -hmm. She would feed the dog. She would exercise the dog. She would walk the dog. Now, Matt, let's be honest. We both knew at the time that that was deceptive. Yes, yes, okay. Easy to say, hard to do. Mm. But the deal was, if you don't follow your obligations, you will will take the dog back. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So explain something to me, Matt. Yeah. A certain person in our household, not me and not my daughter, said I will do nothing with the dog, and if if chores aren't kept, the dog has to go back.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Hard line, so very why,
1: hard line. Why has the dog not been returned
0: <laughs> when someone reneged on the contract? It sounds like a bit of a Trojan horse to me, Fred, where the, the the dog manages to get their way in the household. And once they're there, it probably becomes that little bit harder to get rid of them than maybe you expect, hey? Well, I, I often catch the the
1: uh, Minister of Defence who said <laughs> the dog had to go back having conversations with, and I quote, the lovely puppy, mm, mm, you see? Mm. So you can see that we're not immune to this mm. sort of stuff and, and it, it creates a sense of joy or an obligation that is very inherent mm. in our capacity to care for other things mm. and the altruism of caring. So psychologically, Pets really spike our serotonin and dopamine, right? Mm. They give us all this great feedback that says, When I'm ready to love you, I love you, and I love you fantastically. Mm. It'll be when your cat crawls up in your lap and says, Looks at you in the way that says, Pat me, because, and then they get sick of it, but yeah. and you want to keep going, but they're like, No, 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 you've served yep. your purpose, That's human. Enough. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, brushing a horse, riding a horse. Have you ever seen somebody ride a horse for the first time, Matt?
0: No. In fact, I've never ridden a horse myself, so I, I don't have a huge exposure to that one at all. Well, I have seen
1: somebody ride a horse for the first time and literally fall in love with that horse mm-hmm. in the space of 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And the next question was, can I have a horse? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the response was, when you walk the dog. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right? You with me? Yeah. Yeah. Because they're so captivating, gentle, mm-hmm. and in theory you should be scared of them because they're bigger, they're more powerful than us, and they have you know they have great capacity to do us harm. But mm-hmm. they don't; they choose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, when you see stuff like we we have a colleague, as you know, and I won't mention her by name, who has a really well trained guide
0: dog. When you see stuff like that, what do you make up about the bond between people and animals? Ah, oh, great question. Yeah, I think there's definitely this sense of like a, a mutual regard or a, a consciousness behind that, I think, which, um, you know, maybe as a philosophy student, there's be something to uh, to unpack there about what that looks like. But there's definitely this sense of, of mutual buy-in or something where it feels like um, the, the trained animal looks after the person because the person looks after the animal. And then that develops a bond that, that goes beyond that simple kind of quid pro quo, I suppose. Um, I, I definitely, think that it indicates there's this personality or character and I think that's such an important part of of the connection of animals because I think people love to say like this is what's special about my animal I think in this kind of character, which I think is interesting. Yep. We've, we, uh, we describe our cat as, um, particularly damaged, as particularly like mentally ill in our household because we think they've experienced a lot of trauma and so they have a lot of PTSD responses. Now, that seems utterly absurd to kind of think about on a podcast with a psychologist, right? Um, and yeah, my mum's a social worker and, and she's convinced that the responses of our cat are, are trauma based. Now, what I think is actually going on is there, cat-like responses to yes. things, right? Um, but it, it can't be that simple because we want to put onto this animal the fact that, ah, oh, they're, they're so human-like, they've experienced trauma and so they've got PTSD. Uh, I think that's kind Absolutely. of the, the consciousness that we seem to put on these animals as they as they develop these bonds with people. They, there is a fantastic capacity for animals
1: to re, to act with reciprocity Mm. Around the way that we treat them. Mm. So if you think that there's no such thing as a bad animal, and I'm of the belief I don't uh, animals don't have the same sort of morality that mm. we do. Yeah, uh, which I find really, really quite fascinating. Um, to the extent where they do what they need to do, mm. and not necessarily we don't. We, you can't really ascribe motive to what animals do. Mm. However i have seen when the dog is ignored that it will break a rule and we on the road (laughs) just to get back at you sort of thing i many years ago matt true story as i live and breathe dating a girl Mm -hmm. and i pushed her tomcat off her lap so i could pick her up Uh uh-huh it went and found my bag and urinated all over (laughs) what you cannot tell me that they don't have the capacity to square the ledger Hmm. a very good uh somebody i studied with uh was visually impaired (laughs) and during their training worked in an environment where they were were it was almost like an uh an exercise physiology and they would work with people in states of uh semi-undress they were visibly, uh, visually impaired, and the nice thing for their their clients was that there was no need in their mind. This is how they explained it, mm. not my take on mm, it. Right. There was no need at all for the clients to be embarrassed about being semi-naked, because quite literally, they were in a room with someone that couldn't see them. Yeah, right. It created great comfort, mm. but in one instance, uh, somebody behaved badly. And I won't go into detail because the person they were in the room with couldn't see what they were doing. Mm. But the person in the room was alerted to it when a guide dog, who probably weighed about 95 kilo, Mm. stood up, stood in front of her and began to growl like the fiercest Doberman you've ever seen. Oh my
0: gosh.
1: Wow. And she said very calmly, it's important for you to get ready and leave because I've not seen this behavior before, and I don't think I could stop the dog being a dog Mm. in this instance. Mm. Wow. But what she was saying was in that instance, and guide dogs are probably the pinnacle of of animal training, Mm. in my opinion. Mm. And they know 50 to 60 commands. Some of them can get up to double digit, uh, sorry, triple digit commands. But at their heart, they're a symbiotic relationship with their owner and the capacity to protect mm. overwhelmed a whole heap of training mm. and the dog acted like a dog mm. Mm. which I think is a lovely story I think it's the most powerful story that I've heard about that that symbiosis mm. between. You know, an owner and not necessarily a pet, although they are pets, but they're an owner and a working animal.
0: Yeah, I particularly love that, I think, because of the way you described overcoming that training and stuff for the ability to protect, because in some ways, the essence of the training that we're giving these animals is to protect. In some yeah. ways. And so there'd be an argument in which by protecting it was embodying its most fundamental training 100%, in, in a yeah. way that kind of goes against the the letter of what they've been trained by, but is in the spirit of what they've been trained Deflate for, like- which, which seems, again, putting far too much consciousness on an animal, perhaps, but certainly seems to pan out in an example like that. Well, like I think one of the things that's remarkable about that is the training works because they have these
1: inherent instincts mm. and their capacity to read our behavior. It's not a it's not a one way street. Mm, mm, mm. They have they learn the capacity to evaluate their human companions. Mm, right. And this is why I believe equine therapy is really powerful because despite the fact that horses are in theory quite a simple animal. Mm. They can they can alter their behaviour mm. to match the person they're working with, and they can stand there. All you know, five hundred kilos of thoroughbred can stand there gently, mm. and allow someone that's quite frail to brush them and give them care, mm. and reciprocate with acknowledgement. Mm. You know, mm. and and you know, essentially, they're showing pleasure in 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 the interaction, and it's got some sort of very deep-seated very evolutionary kind of trigger for the person Mm. um and look i've never ridden a horse and i i I would be very concerned for the horse that i had to ride (laughs) i see. um having said that though i don't doubt and i i have a worry about riding horse because I, i i'm not a big fan of relying on things that have independent capacity for uh-huh, thought, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I know a lot of people that are horse people and they are so devoted to their animals mm-hmm. to the extent where, I don't know if you understand it or not, but horses are a bloody expensive hobby in this mm-hmm. country. Yeah, yeah. But people would do more about the welfare and health of their pets than they do themselves. So, for example, Matt, when I'm not looking after them, when I'm really on point, I'll go and get my hair cut every two weeks. Uh-huh, right. If not, I'll let it go for four to six. But the dog always goes to the group every third friday (laughs) okay yeah and the dog's grooming is much more expensive than my haircut but in fairness my barber doesn't have to shave my nether regions. yeah yeah and claim so i get that i
0: think this this is not particularly the nether regions part fred but this question of the the care that one gives an animal i think is maybe where i i wanted to end up with this podcast because i've heard this like kind of truism i guess that it's easier to look after a pet than it is to look after yourself um and i think that kind of spoke to what you're saying about like the the um, food stamps and stuff and not being able to spend on animals like you've got to force people to buy food for themselves before they buy food for their animal which which seems like a wild concept to me because i would have thought that we'd have this self-preservation instinct of looking after ourselves but i've heard stories of kind of developing out of the need to look after an animal i'm the only one responsible for this animal if i die or if something happens to me something the animal's not going to be cared for and i've heard this do kind of i guess like wonders for self-esteem for for the ability to care for oneself but there seems to be something about animals that says they are always worth caring for because we are the sole responsible uh people to care for them and so they give us or they give people a reason to to look after ourselves, to then care for the animals. I find this bizarre because I feel like evolutionarily or instinctively, surely we should be looking after ourselves first. But but, do you do you buy this idea that it's easier to look after oh, animals look, than I, ourselves? I can I can tell you that the
1: evidence that I have of that, Matt. Mm. Um, the why and the wherefore, I think self-esteem does come into it around people, but I think it, it, fundamentally the the need to be wanted. Right and relied upon is part of the human condition mm. so much so that in psychology there's a concept that's very real and it's called pet grief and it's what happens when a pet passes mm, right. and for some people it's more profound than if a loved one goes mm, mm. because quite legitimately um if a if a let's pick a cousin you know a close but not yeah, symbiotic sure, relationship yeah. We can grieve the person and, and justify that it was their time, so on and so forth. Mm. But a pet is a dependent. Mm, you know? right. And it's so intimately linked to you every day that pet grief can be quite profound for people. Mm. So I think in, in closing, from my perspective, one of the things we need to realize is pets make us better. Mm, okay. um, and I think their application in my field As it continues to expand, I become more and more fascinated Mm. to the extent where we have our therapy dog in training in the office. And if I hadn't seen the impact of one six kilo bundle of fur on 30 or 40 people, I might have remained skeptical, but I can tell you. My popularity
0: has skyrocketed. (laughs) A good uh, business choice for, for running the place, isn't it, Fred? Although I do
1: get very offended when people send me texts and saying, is midnight coming in today? And I reply with, Yes, I'll be attending the office today and
0: see you soon. <laughs> that's a real good one, Fred. Yeah, excellent. Well, thanks so much for sharing that insight into it from the psychology perspective, because I think it's stuff that I hear and it feels like I've observed it, but that idea of like dependency and and, and the work that does for people is is really interesting, I think, um, and, and says something about about what it means to be a person and to live in community, I guess. So So thank Absolutely. you for that. Um, listeners, I hope you learned something and I hope maybe even that's applicable to whatever pets or animals might be in your life or may not be. Um, and uh, if you're interested in these kinds of conversations, please subscribe or follow us on the platform that you listen on um, and leave a review uh, on Apple Podcasts if that's where you're at. Thank you so much, everyone, and thank you, Fred, for joining me. Thank you, Matt. Cheers.
1: Thank you for listening. This podcast is a better pod Group production with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Lanch the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is a podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts are theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and/or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bedpod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.